Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Remember those uh, announcements, uh, Sister Sandy, we still got any baby bottles? Two baby bottles. Come on, folks. Let's take care of those two last baby bottles. All right, so be sure and see her tonight. Let's get that taken care of so we can uh, start filling them up. Let's stand together for the word. Remember, you need to sign up. Look like a few more signed up this morning for Date Your Mate. That's this Friday night. Okay, so child care is provided. So come, fellowship, eat, have a great time. Amen. But we need you to sign up back there at the communication station. All right. Praise the Lord. Looking forward to that great time. Amen. Back here in the house of the Lord on Wednesday evening, 7 o'clock, as we, uh, we've closed out the, the letters to the seven churches. So we're going to continue on through the book of Revelation. All right. So I want you to join us. Okay. So John chapter 10, verse 10. Praise the Lord. John chapter 10, verse 10. I just want us to read uh, what I'm going to be speaking from in this text, and that is the first phrase, okay? I guess it's really, according to my Bible, it's uh, to the second comma, all right? John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal. All right, we're going to stay right there because that's uh, that's what I'm going to be dealing with tonight. All right, now come to 2 Timothy 1.14, 2 Timothy 1.14, this is Paul writing to young Timothy, all right, this is the second letter, he's already taught him a lot, okay, and so this is the second letter, and we believe that this is the final letter that Paul the Apostle was able to write before he gave his life for the gospel, Okay, and so he says to Timothy in verse 14, That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. That good thing. A lot of translations read that good deposit which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. I want to talk to you about guarding the goods, guarding the goods. Father, thank you for your word this evening. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. Lord, thank you for each and every one of our church family that's gathered here in person, those that's gathered online. Pray you would bless us as we look into your word. I pray, God, that we would take this to heart. I feel you've laid it on my heart, and Lord, now enable me to communicate it and deliver it as you anoint me to do so in Jesus' name. All God's children say amen. 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 God bless you. You can be seated. Let me read 2 Timothy 1.14 again, but let me take you to the Amplified Bible. It says, guard with greatest care and keep unchanged the treasure, that precious truth, which has been entrusted to you, that is, the good news about salvation through personal faith in Christ Jesus through the help of the Holy Spirit who dwells 
in us. Now, how many know most of us, at least that I'm aware of, we have no problem guarding our material possessions? Hopefully, most of you locked the doors of your car before you came into the sanctuary tonight. Many of us do that now without even thinking because you've got that little key fob and you just walk away and you hit the little button. Couldn't be easier, right? We have no problem putting our valuables in a safety deposit box, perhaps at the local bank for safekeeping. We go to great lengths to keep our cash, our valuables beyond the reach of thieves. Uh, we invest in all kinds of security systems, alarms, and many other protective devices. But how many know when it comes to our spiritual treasures, sometimes our generation can get a little careless, right? Sometimes when it comes to our spiritual treasures, our generation is guilty of tending to, to really not see the importance of standing on guard. And how many know that's not a new thing? It really isn't. Somebody say it's no new thing. Evidently, Paul detected that way back in Timothy's day. Okay, and that's why he issues this word of a, uh, instruction to young Timothy. Paul knew that oftentimes we guard our physical treasures and leave our spiritual treasures exposed to the enemy. Amen, pastor. And the enemy comes around, and it's like taking candy from a kid, right? Here in this text, Paul was urging Timothy that it was his sole responsibility to protect and to guard everything that God and even Paul had passed down to him. And if you look, as we read in the Amplified, uh, it's because it takes that uh, word keep and it actually says guard because keep in the uh, Greek means guard. It means to make secure. It means to watch over so as to prevent escape or disclosure or indiscretion. And now uh, we have what's called security guards in our culture, someone who is assigned to protect someone or something from danger, especially uh, they, they, they give watchful attention. How many know what's wrong with a security guard that's fallen asleep? Anybody ever seen that? Hmm? You don't have to explain that, right? You automatically know He's not doing his job because his job is watchful attention, right? So when you see the word keep, oftentimes in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, it means to observe with a close eye, like a guard. It means to keep safe. It means to keep in mind. And actually, one meaning says to keep close, to keep it close to you. Praise God. How many is familiar with the state of Kentucky? We got any Kentuckians here? One? 
Two? All right. We got a couple Kentuckians. 30 miles south of Louisville. How many know there's a guarded treasure there? It's a treasure more vast and more measurable than any of us could imagine. It's a place called Fort Knox. You can go there and see all, I mean, all things military. Military museum, many military command uh, centers are located there. There is uh, all kinds of practice ranges and and, uh, but also located on those many acres is the biggest vault perhaps you'll ever see. And when you approach it, you're soon reminded that something valuable is there. Instead of an inviting vis- uh, visitor center and instead of having open gates and windows, you're going to see a guard booth, right? Along with a lot of barbed wire and an ugly blockade-looking wall that's made from reinforced concrete that, that uh, reaches below the surface of the earth and then extends and is impervious and resistant to bombing and, and is also impervious and <laughs> resistant to visitors uh, that want to catch a glimpse of what's inside like golden bricks, Right? So if you go there hoping to see all the the gold, you'll soon discover there's no chance in that happening. Why? Because the federal government has a majority of their gold stored there, at least they used to. I don't know. There's all kinds of conspiracy theories now, so I really don't know what all's going on. But let's act like the gold is still there. So what happens? They guard it, right? Now, we're not on the gold standard anymore, I realize that, but, but, but our government still understands that gold is valuable, right? You got a little gold in your pocket tonight? But if that vault was ever to be tampered, and they were successful. If it was, that gold was stolen. How many know the government knows that the U.S. economy and even to an extent the world economy would be devastated? You say it can't get any worse than it is. Well, you got a point. But how many know that's why they stop at nothing to protect Fort Knox. Paul reminds us that, folks, how many know we have a treasure? Hey, Broadway, we have a treasure. We have a treasure in the gospel that is far greater of eternal value than all the golden bricks hidden away at Fort Knox. And in the passage, the Apostle Paul is exhorting Timothy, don't spare anything. Do whatever you have to do to protect The gospel goods. The main treasure Paul is referring to here in this context is the treasure of the gospel. Paul was warning Timothy not to allow the the light of the glorious gospel to be dimmed or to be weakened or to be watered down by false teachers and false teaching. 
Timothy was to consider himself as the guardian of the gospel light, lest darkness would begin to prevail in Timothy's home and in the church in which he was working. I like the story I read recently from history regarding King's Chapel in Cambridge, England. How many's heard of King's Chapel? Maybe some of you has been there. But it has it has the most significant display of stained glass in all of Europe. And made in the 15th and 16th century, it uh, has about 13,000 square feet of stained glass and, and has been one of the uh, great attractions and highlights of the chapel is its stained glass windows. But during World War II, the locals thought it would be wise and prudent to remove the stained glass and get it out of the chapel so that it wouldn't be destroyed by the German bombers. And so that's exactly what they did. They removed 13,000 square feet of stained glass and found a safe place in the countryside, dug a big old hole, and buried it. Praise God. Why? Why did they do that? They were guarding the goods. Right? Finally, after they said the war was over and enough time had passed, they deemed it safe. They decided that it was time to bring those stained glass windows out of hiding and, and reinstall them in King's Chapel. And so that's what they did. The workers took great pain to, to cover them with blankets and cloth to keep them protected during the in, in, entire reinstallment program. And they said the night after the final window was installed, they began to send word out to the local folks to come and, 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 and uh, once again look at the chapel uh, with the stained glass to see the treasure that they had guarded all during the Second World War. And that evening they said word began to spread and so folks came and they began to surround King's Chapel outside in the darkness of the night. And then just at the right moment the word was given and they had hooked up lots of floodlights inside that chapel and they hit the switch and the light began to stream out through those stained glass windows and they said you could hear the, the crowd gasp because they had forgotten the beauty of those valuable windows and the glory of all the colors and that is what Christ has done by his resurrection from the dead and by the gospel that we preach in his name scripture says people who who walked in darkness saw a great light and that light brought the freedom from sin and freedom from the fear of death and I'm talking about some eternal goods that we are called upon to guard and the shining of this gospel light is what God has called our church to do in this community and how many know even around our globe it's the light that's the beautiful gospel that we have been been entrusted and challenged to guard. So now let's break down this point even further if we can put a finer point on it because how many know there's many treasures in the gospel? It really is that we're called to guard. The list is really inexhaustible. We must make every effort to protect and value them. And if our attitude towards these treasures get casual, then sooner or later uh, we will be subject to opening them up uh, for the thief to steal and take them away. But if we place a high value on them, what happens? We guard them. 
it becomes more difficult for us to lose them. And we need to guard these spiritual values, how many know, more faithfully than we would the gold in Fort Knox. And so in reading this passage, I, I begin to think of the valuables, the treasures that Satan would like to steal from us. And the truth be known, how many know in many churches already across America, the thief has been very, very busy, right? Hey, he's been bu busy around here, right? I mean, no, we're not exempt from his activity. But it, it's, it's, it's obvious and it's grievousome because many churches, many churches don't even teach the cross of Christ has the power to slay sin anymore. Many don't believe in divine healing. Don't, many don't believe baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Many have stopped teaching and anticipating the second coming of Christ. You know, I remember when I was growing up and somebody preached on the coming of the Lord, I left church listening for the trumpet sound. How many remember that? Many have stopped teaching about the resurrected life of, of a new believer. Now it's all about best life now. You see, there are some questions that should trouble us. It should be a question like, who stole these treasures? Secondly, who failed to guard these treasures? Thirdly, why are, were they deemed worthless when they were in fact so priceless? Fourthly, how do we restore them as our Pentecostal heritage and birthright? You see, how long will we go on and not even miss the missing treasures? How many's ever had something stolen from you? Oh, well, quite a few. Huh? Looks like thieves have been around Lorraine County. <laughs> I've had things stole. They, uh, when we lived across the parking lot here, they, you know, I had a, I still, I, I'm doing better. I'm doing better. But I used to leave my truck unlocked all the time. And so I went out one morning and man, my whole console had been rummaged through and dumped all over my seats. And I really couldn't think of anything they stole until I went to put on my perfume, my cologne that I always kept in my console. That must have been a stinking thief. Because that's the only thing I know he stole. Tommy Hilfiger. Hey, but you know what? If I would have kept guard, right? Really, if I'd have just locked my door, all right? But, Tim, you got a pin on you. <coughs> Is it a nice one? Not too bad? Well, it's just easy. Boy, it's easy taking that from him. Thank you. I like this. It's, is it a cross? Oh, yeah. Stole his cross. Huh? Now, now if you had that, and, and obviously as you prize it, if Gracie come up to you, she said, Daddy, I'm going to get your pen. That's one thing. 
But if I come to you and I said, I'm going to get your pen, <laughs> he'd just go ahead and hand it over. No, listen, folks, we are called to guard some things. And let's take a look at a few things, can we? I want to look at the treasure of the bloodstained cross for a few moments, and then we'll, we'll move on to a few more. Because in, in modern Christianity, the cross, in a sense, has, has become offensive. And how many know Jesus warned that that would happen? And, and Paul knew that. Paul knew that when he wrote to the church at Galatia in chapter 5, verse 11. In many cases, churches no longer, you know, display a cross in any of their facilities, um, you know, and, and I understand, and I, I've heard their arguments. But listen, friends, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.17, he said that eloquent speech is never going to replace the cross. And if you read on down to the 18th verse, he said, it's foolishness to them that perish. But to us who believe, it represents the power of God. It represents the love of God. Huh? Hallelujah. Postmodern theologians have called the cross and the blood of Christ, they called it a slaughterhouse religion. And the Lord intended for Calvary to be a shameful place of sacrifice. To remind us of how sinful we are, but how forgiving he is. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you for the blood. Because from the beginning, God said we needed a blood covering. He said that the life of the flesh is where? In that blood. And we have peace through the blood, Paul said. Remission of sin is in the blood. Access to the, excuse me, access to the throne is through the blood. Reconciliation through the blood. See, his blood is precious and unique and one of a kind. This is not ordinary blood. It secures our release from bondage and addiction. It secures our freedom from sin and the devil. God said that man is a fallen creature, needed a savior. And the cross demonstrates that man could never reach God, but God reached down to man. And Calvary cost God everything, so let's not remove it from our songbooks. Let's not remove it from our preaching. Let's fight for the treasure called the blood-stained cross. Is there anybody that's willing to guard the blood-stained cross? Praise God. Secondly, how about this treasure? Oh, I think uh, they, they sang about it earlier in one of the songs, The Treasure of the Anointing. I wonder sometimes if, if we have the Holy Spirit instead of the Holy Spirit. How many know we oftentimes settle for spurts of the anointing? When all God is saying is, I've got a spirit of anointing that will fill you up and flow out of you 24-7, 365. 
The matter of sporadic anointing is very scary to me. You know, I, I look at a, a frightening verse in Scripture, which is Judges chapter 13, verse 25, where it says, And the Spirit of the Lord began to move Samson, but notice what it says, at times. At times. You know what at times mean? Once in a while. I said, God, I don't want your Holy Spirit to move on me once in a while. At times. Uh, 1 John 2.27 teaches us the anointing can be continual. Hey, Zechariah in the Old Testament saw, the, 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 if you remember, the, the candle and how the piping was right to those olive trees. Why? Because there was to be a continual flow from the olive trees that represents the anointing into the lampstand that represents the fire that is to burn continually. 2 Kings 4, 6 teaches us that as long as there was another vessel, you remember that story? As long as that widow and her two sons provided vessels, the miracle of the oil kept flowing the flow of the anointing is given in response to desire and need oh god i desire and i need a continual anointing oh hallelujah somebody ask god for a continual anointing <coughs> when self satisfaction supersedes our emptiness the anointing will dry up quite simply when there's no empty vessels that means no more oil friend the once in a while anointing is what cost samson his sight and eventually his strength and eventually his life let's remember that without the anointing how many know we can do nothing I said, we can do nothing. And when was the last time we began to bubble over with that fresh anointing from the Holy Ghost? I just asked myself that this afternoon. When was the last time maybe you broke out and you began to dance like David danced under the anointing of the Holy Ghost? Listen, when was the last time you spoke with other tongues uh, more than just a couple syllables uh, or raised your hands and shouted unto God with a voice of triumph, not because you thought about it, but because you were so full of an anointing from heaven that you thought you was going to explode if you did not release some of it? Listen, when was the last time we saw a divine interruption in a church service where God came down with Shekinah glory and anointing and said, okay, singer, move over. I'm going to take over the service from here. Or preacher, pastor, move over. I've got the service from here. We need those kind of services more than once or twice a year. We need the Holy Spirit's anointing to flow continually. When was the last time you heard someone singing in the Holy Spirit? Oh, that's a beautiful sound. When was the last time you seen somebody get drunk in the presence of the Holy Ghost or be slain in the power of the Holy Ghost? We better guard these treasures because we have an enemy who is a master thief and he's coming for them. If God's presence does not occupy our effort in the church service, then God does not accept our effort because fire will always fall on the accepted sacrifice. And the Holy Spirit does not want to take just part of our life. He wants to take over our lives. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is always liberty. Oh, raise your hands and praise Him.
Praise God. Woo. Oh, I feel that Holy Spirit here. Hallelujah. Somebody praise him just a little bit more. Oh, go ahead and lift your voice. Thank you, Jesus. Are you willing to guard that anointing? Are you willing to fight for that anointing? I'm not ready for God to hang a sign over the doors that reads Ichabod. That means the anointing has departed. No, no, no. I'm ready to guard that anointing like never before and say, God, we cannot function at Broadway without your anointing. <coughs> Hallelujah. We've got to move on to number three. How about this treasure? The treasury of intercessory prayer. How many know intercessors are hard to find these days? When was the last time you or you heard someone weep over their lost family? When was the last time you interceded for a prodigal son or daughter? When's the last time we wept over the lack of his presence in our homes? When was the last time we went to a prayer meeting to pray and we knew if we could get there, God would meet us there? When was the last time we heard somebody travail with the birth pains of revival? See, what happened to the spirit of brokenness and that smiting conviction is that it's gone because we didn't guard it. Hello? What happened to effective altar services where folks would pray until they prayed through? Intercessors and prayer warriors were once a vital part of the church. They kept the devil out. They kept the fire hot. They kept the preacher covered. Used to be the greatest accolade that could be offered to a church member. It was to say that they were a person of true intercession. But let me be a pastor right here for a minute and encourage all of us in our prayer lives, myself included. Today, praying in the altars after the sermon is almost become a stolen treasure. There is very little travail or rekindling of our own personal fire. How long has it been since you prayed over three or four minutes uh, for your church to have true revival? Listen, God is looking for somebody to go after those treasures uh, and post guard and say we will not let uh, intercessory prayer be stolen from us. Uh, we're going to return to the altar and we're going to say yes, uh, we will guard our prayer times uh, with all of our strength. Treasure number four. How about this one? The treasure of divine healing. Oh, hadn't, couldn't we use some of that? I grew up in a family that believed and depended on divine healing. I've testified. We had, we had great uh, healings in our family. And my, my brother and my sister and, and, and so on. We were taught that healing was, Scripture says it's the children's bread. And I know many of you have had awesome healing testimonies. You've shared them with me. We've rejoiced together. But how many know the devil is out to steal divine healing? <coughs> but how many know the work of Christ through the Holy Spirit still on this earth is still ongoing? And it includes healing. 
Say it with me. By his stripes, we are healed. How many know it is God's will to still heal? I have personally been healed, and I've seen healings. When was the last time, though, we saw these, these physical healings and spiritual healings of deliverance, alcoholics and drug addicts? And, and, and I'm telling you, he can still do it. Just because we haven't sought in a while doesn't mean he stopped doing it. So God's looking for someone to, to have the burden, embrace the burden, and, and guard divine healing and deliverance back in the church and promise that, hey, we're not going to let the devil take this from us. How about number five, of the treasure of the doctrine of heaven and hell? Now, I'm not a prophecy expert. You know that. <coughs> I've always believed that staying in love with Jesus and letting him live through you would enable you to be ready to face whatever you have to face and be ready to go whenever he comes. Because I do know this, he's coming for a church that is glorious. How many know that? He's coming for a church that's without spot and without wrinkle. And listen, he is not coming for an excuse-laden harlot church who has run after every latest gimmick and fad that comes down the pike. Listen, he's coming at any moment and we must stay red hot with his love. You know, I, I really know that hell has become a, a no-no to mention behind the pulpits in many churches today. Why? Because We've replaced gospel preaching and proclamation with motivational speeches. Oh, help me for just a few minutes. How many know they're a poor substitute for the real thing? Huh? Listen, you're not going to get the message that heaven's trying to communicate to the church. If all you give them is a diet of positive motivation. I wish it was. But listen, there's sometimes that the Word of God says, Thou shalt not. Huh? And if you do, then don't expect the blessing of God. Because how many know He's coming after a bride that is virtuous? I don't want to be left among the foolish five who was caught off guard and without enough oil. Now, no, most people don't want to hear or discuss this subject of heaven or hell. But the Scriptures teach us hell hath enlarged itself. Right? It's a place where the sinner will be confined forever. Matthew 25, 46. It's a place of torments. Plural. Luke 16, 23. Where one will beg for one single drop of water. And when Christ described hell, he used a word in the Greek called Gehenna which actually referred to a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. It was maggot-infested, a place of burning that had continuous fire. But Revelation 19.4 tells us that that place, hell, was never prepared for people. Right? Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. So anyone who goes there ends up there by their own choosing. 
They have ignored God's love. They have ignored his mercy. Listen, church, this doctrine of a real hell has been stolen from many churches. Why? Because they've not guarded it. Oh, may we guard this doctrine of hell. Because if the devil can remove hell, hello, he knows he can take a lot of folks with him because they fall into this deception. But oh, hallelujah, not only should we guard this doctrine of hell, we need to guard the doctrine of heaven. Hmm? How many times have we heard it? I've heard it. They begin to explain away hell as just the bad things that happen to us while we're on this earth, and heaven is the good things that happen to us on this earth. Listen, friends. Heaven is a real place. The saints of all the ages have gathered in a place called heaven. The angels are there. My Savior's there. How about your Savior? How many know your Redeemer's there? He's seated at the right hand of the Father as the Father is there. Hallelujah. Praise God. I want to go there. Not to just escape earth and all of our problems down here, but I want to go there to see Jesus, the one who died in my place. Hallelujah. I want to see the streets made of gold, the walls of jasper, 12 gates of pearl, the river and the tree of life and a crystal sea and the throne of God the Father and have a new body that's free of all illness. Listen, I read this week that for the last almost 500 years since the Protestant Reformation, every time God has sent revival, the focus of the church has been on heaven and how to get there and longing to go there and singing about heaven and preaching about heaven and talking about heaven. Today it becomes easy to twiddle our thumbs and act like a bunch of Jehovah's Witnesses planning to stay on this globe forever. But listen friend, this world is not my home. Listen church, we're still pilgrims. We're still strangers on this globe. But the Holy Spirit within inside of me is pulling me upward. There's a place called heaven, and I want to make it my home. Oh, raise your hands and praise him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Listen to this. The the largest Christian counseling center in America said some time ago that they would have to lay off 90% of all their staff, if the American pulpits would do one thing. And they said that is go back to preaching. There is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. Oh, God, help us. How about this, number six? How about the treasure of the fear of the Lord? Now, don't you look at the fear of the Lord as something negative because my Bible says it is the beginning of wisdom. Hello. (coughs) It is the fountain of life and a revival of the fear of the Lord will inevitably produce a reverent generation. 
There was time people used to run to Sunday night services because they feared the Lord and reverenced him by being in his house every time it was possible. But now Sunday night services have become a relic of the past. And I understand I'm not painting with a wide brush and I'm not saying every church that has had to close Sunday night is is doing it for bad reasons. I am not saying that. Please don't misunderstand me. I have good folks, good friends. They're just not able to do it right now. But the truth is, I love Sunday night church. And if you look in church history, a lot of times they, I, I found that Sunday night services was a time when the worship was most intense and most spontaneous and captivating. Listen, when it comes to this reverent fear, It's gone missing in many churches. And it makes it easy for cell phones and uh, Twitter feeds and texting and and checking game scores. All that can be easily done right in the place and time of worship. Why? Because we oftentimes nowadays we feel it extremely difficult to focus, as it was mentioned, focus on Christ for just two hours. Listen, we, we hear remarks like, oh, come on, man. Don't preach too long. I've got a life to live. I understand. Come on, pastor. One service a week. Isn't that enough for anybody? Listen, we can spend hours, though, watching media, talking on our phones, in the place shopping or hunting and fishing. And I love to, you know, I, I, don't, I, I like to have a hobby. But then... To think that a couple hours for our Lord is too much? Listen, somebody has let the thief steal some things. God is looking for a generation who wants to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And if we want God to shake the church of the last days and give us revival, we need to pray that there would be a revival of the fear of the Lord. We must never forget to guard this characteristic of genuine reverent fear of God. Oh, I got to hurry. I'm taking too long. I know I am. Number seven, number seven, the treasure of the gifts of the Spirit. Praise God. I'm glad the Holy Spirit still can speak to hearts through tongues and interpretation. Listen, friends, uh, we must guard the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, they are the key many times to the service. And I, want, I, I, I don't want to pastor a church that doesn't allow the Holy Spirit to speak in the gift of tongues uh, or interpretation. I long for the Holy Spirit to come in and not only use those two gifts, uh, but how many know there's seven others uh, that He wants to use? But along the same lines, my heart is crying out, Oh God, have your way. Because listen, it is very clear that the early Christians read the book of Acts and the first letter of the church at Corinth. They knew the functioning and special abilities that were of supernatural origin that came from no other place other than the Spirit of God. And many spoke in tongues that they never learned. Others healed sick, though they had never studied medicine. And then they were the 
those that had often supernatural insight and wisdom and words of knowledge. Listen, the Apostle Paul lists them all out in 1 Corinthians 12. I think it's verses 4 through 11. And he lists nine gracious, supernatural gifts of the Holy Ghost. And someone said the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit are the cake, but the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit is the icing on the cake. We need them both. I said we need them both in our lives and in our church service because you put those two together and you allow God to work with a believer with both sets of the nine fruit and the nine gifts. You'll have a powerhouse of a child of God. I said you'll have a powerhouse of a child of God. Why? Because God is looking for someone to guard those gifts. Praise God. Is this okay? I'm, I'm coming in for landing. I'm coming in for landing. I know I've went on for a while. But how about this one? How about the treasure of your peace? How many know peace requires maintenance? Keeping the enemies of peace, such as stress and anxiety and fear, away takes some work and diligence. Little battles can occur in our minds, and oftentimes it does. And when we fail to guard that peace, we simply make ourselves vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. I know, because I have had my peace stolen, right? And I've had to find my, myself heading back to the prayer closet and praying it through and taking it back. Hello, how about you? Woo, we live in such disturbing times. We live in such depressing times. It's easy for the enemy to steal the peace that a child of God is to have by virtue of the Spirit's fruit. But listen, I want somebody to leave the house of God tonight with more peace than you came in with. Is that okay? How many think it can happen? I believe it can happen. And here we go, last one. I think it's my last one. Uh, these have been rapid fire. Number nine, not only your peace, but how about the treasure, the treasure of your joy? I'm not talking about a shallow, silly, bouncing with smile plastered on your face kind of joy. Because how many know the original Greek word for joy can actually mean the opposite of demonstrative exuberance? It can mean cheerfulness, but it also can mean simply this, calm delight. Praise God. I believe there's a lot of folks in our generation that needs a calm delight. You're not going to find it in Hollywood. You're not going to find it in politics. You're only going to find it in the Prince of Peace, the fountainhead of all joy. Woo. It's an understanding that all is in the hands of God. And he's in control, and so that means it's all going to end well.
Hello. It's going to get bumpy. You may need to hang on. Hello. But in the end, folks, this old gospel ship is going to make it home. It might be bumpy. We might have to survive some high wind and waves. But I've read the back of the book. I said I've read the back of the book. And this old gospel ship is going to come into that harbor of heaven one day. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And joy and hope. Listen, friend, it's understanding that all is going to end well. It's another way to say, don't get irritated. No need to be annoyed. No need to get frazzled. Joy and hope is tied together because joy is born of trust and expectation and of the strong belief of God's goodness and His sovereignty. Joy is possible when we are secure about the future and we're hopeful about God's promises. I stand on every promise in this book. Listen, we need to guard both the hope and the joy because the enemy will want to snatch them away. But he wants to derail us with trials and and watch us embrace misery. But look out. God's raising up a generation that says we will guard. I said we're going to guard these treasures. I want us to stand together. How about it, church? There's many ways We can guard the treasures. You look at the banks. You look at the museums. How about looking at gated communities? You can see all different kinds of methods in which they guard things. Many of the places have guards with weapons. Huh? Because they mean business. They are there to protect the treasures That's stored inside. And notice, while we are called to guard, Paul told Timothy, guard these treasures. Guard these valuables. Guard these goods. What weapon do we have, Paul? Well, notice at the end of the verse, he said we have a weapon. He's called the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. He is the greatest weapon against the thief of hell. Hallelujah. I said the Holy Spirit is our weapon. So how about it tonight? Maybe you need to be filled or refilled. If you're going to guard these treasures, you need the weapon of the Holy Ghost. Father, here tonight, I don't know who you're talking to. I hope you're talking to several. But Lord, I pray you're ministering. I pray you're touching. I pray you're, Lord, just challenging us. And I pray tonight, if there's one here that needs to be filled and refilled, I pray, God, we would open our vessels and let that anointed Holy Spirit flow in our lives, flow in our hearts, flow in our vessels. In Jesus' name, all God's people say amen. God bless you. Would you come? Would you come let him fill you? Somebody say, God, I need that Holy Spirit moving in my life. I need that Holy Spirit helping me guard these treasures. Go ahead and step out and make it, make it, make it your prayer.